0: This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. FreshBooks, FreshBooks, FreshBooks. Thanks once again for sponsoring the show. If you're a small business owner struggling to get a handle on your taxes, never fear. FreshBooks is here to help. FreshBooks is a ridiculously simple cloud accounting software that will help you cruise through tax season. And believe me, I need it. And their mobile app allows you to take pictures of your receipts and organizes them for later, which makes claiming expenses a total breeze. To get started with a 30-day free trial, go to FreshBooks.com forward slash James and enter the code James in the How Did You Hear About Us section. love ZipRecruiter. I'm so glad they're a sponsor. Oh, should I start the ad? Okay, this is part... Actually, I'll make that part of the ad. Today's show is also brought to you by ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter can help you find the right hire. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites with just one click. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash James. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. One more time, to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash James.
1: Today on The James Altucher Show. When, When I used to headline as a comedian, I'd feel sorry for the people lining up waiting to see me. Like I was there weekend... So I want to enter a world where I feel like I'm just starting now. I'm so excited. It's about reinvention also in the sense
0: that, you know, you started writing these books in your 50s. You're 59 right now. You've had four different careers. I am super happy to have Fred Stoller on the podcast. I'm going to I'm gonna say this, Fred, before I let you speak. You're like t- television history. You've been on... Something like 60 different TV shows. You wrote an episode of one of the best TV shows of all time, Seinfeld, and it was one of my favorite episodes of Seinfeld. You've been on, oh my gosh, uh, Friends, Suddenly Susan, Mad About You, uh, Wizards of Waverly Place, Dr. Katz, uh, The Sweet Life of Zach and Cody, uh, The Penguins of Madagascar. You've been on so many shows. And then you've written three books about your television experiences, My Seinfeld Year, Uh, Maybe We'll Have You Back, The Life of a Perennial uh, TV Guest Star, and Five Minutes to Kill, which just came out. It's an excellent book about your experiences in the 1989 HBO Young Comedian special, and you follow the careers of the other people in the special. We'll talk about that in a second. But given what I just said, how would you introduce yourself?
1: I'd introduce myself as all that, but so self-deprecating, where when people correct, say, oh, you've been on everything, I go, well, not recently. So, <laughs> so that, that I always play the schmucky guy, the nebbish. And uh, when I audition, they go, not so pathetic, and I'm being myself. So <laughs> basically, yeah, those, I used to do stand-up. And and I had – it's it's funny being here in New York because some people seek me out. I don't want to see some – I want to see a friend gave me a letter from when I first moved to L.A. in 1988 where I'm saying, I don't want to do the road. So I did the comedy boom in the 80s where you could effortlessly make a living. I never was in love with it. I think I'm over-explaining myself. Just no, it's okay. Just uh, So I'm really um, – I did those guest spots and voiceovers. A lot of it died down, but I'm really happy to trying to write, express myself in my voice. Because for a while, I, being having no self-esteem, I, I want to be a writer, but I try things out. Oh, that's been done, or that's not what they're looking for, or rom-coms. So finally, as I got so old, where I'm too old to be the guy pitching TV shows or movies, I just wrote what I you know. I'd like to read, which would be, you know, you do a lot of great books, uh, advice, advice, and stuff. The best advice for writers is read, write or read what you'd like to read or watch. So I, I stopped trying to fit into puzzles. So long winded, uh, yeah, I'm, this is, I, I, this feels most creative writing, but not writing for like a sitcom or, or trying to pitch movies just writing about this weird guy that I am that got lost finding this place. It's funny
0: because I I, want to get into your whole TV stuff and even the stand-up stuff because you address it, particularly in the last book, um, Five Minutes to Kill, you you address that bridge between stand-up and careers in television and movies and so on. But it feels like, so your first two books, My Seinfeld Year, which describes your year writing on a season of Seinfeld, And then um, you know uh, maybe we'll have you back, which is the the five words you always want to hear when you're a guest star on a show. Uh, Those are very much like about you and your experiences in TV. I feel there's a a very almost literary bent to Five Minutes to Kill that's different than the first two because it's more um, it's still about you, but it takes this almost literary idea of let's take this seminal event, which is the 1989. Um, young Comedian Special on HBO, and let's follow what happened to the other people. That has a little, a little more literary feel to it, even though you also were on that event.
1: Oh, thank you. You know, I, I, I the, fr- the only frustrating thing about a Five Minutes to Kill is people will just think it's just, not silly, but fun behind-the-scenes stuff when it's uh, a little deeper that, um, <clears throat> excuse me, it felt good to get out of my head. And yes, follow the lives. See, I love... All showbiz stories or all writer stories. I like reading about, um, not Steinbeck, uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald more than the great Gatsby. I like, you know, uh, yeah, just people struggling in showbiz, all all that stuff. So so what I always liked about the special I was on was the six people on it the diverse trajectory of careers and lives all were fairly compelling and different, you know. Right, because it was, it was,
0: first off, it was de- uh, de- a young Dennis Miller as the MC. Yes. It was, you were on the show, and, and you have five, the, co- the book's called Five Minutes. Because you have, five, you have five, minutes five minutes to
1: make your mark on this. See, a lot of young people, like I don't know how old you are, and I'm sure your daughter and the engineers don't remember how big a deal these young comedian specials were. They launched... Sam Kennison, Dice Clay, Seinfeld. This was before Netflix, before Comedy Central. That um, And Jerry Seinfeld had said uh, uh, an appearance on a young comedian special is the equivalent of 10 Tonight Show appearances. And all the young people I'm talking to, the Tonight Show um, could make a career um, because you didn't have all these uh, cable and A&E shows with stand-ups. So, um, so yes, so this, these were a, a big deal being on this uh special, yeah. And it was, it was uh, you, David Spade. Oh, yeah, so Rob Schneider and David Spade. It was, it was funny. I was listening to uh, Mark Marin, WTF, and he, he was listening, he was interviewing Rob Schneider. What was your big break? He said, <clears throat> the HBO Young Comedian special. Well, what the hell. I was on it. Why was not it in my big break? What did I do wrong? I'm a loser. I had my chance. So it was those, Rob Schneider and David Spade got cast on SNL because of being on this. Um, a guy you never heard of, Warren Thomas, who Chris Rock referred to as the funniest guy you never heard of. A genius, great guy, uh, Drake Sather. And Jen Caram, who you never heard of, um... Who uh there was a great tweet from I'm bad Jason Zill something from the New York Times. He wrote a book on Letterman recently and he's the oh, New York yeah, Times yeah. Com- He referred to uh, It's a great this, book on Letterman, by the way. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. And he said that this um this is great writing about uh, great stories about comics you never heard of. And when I interviewed Rob Schneider for this, he goes, you know, the, the interesting stories are the ones you never heard of. So being, you know, you never heard of these people. It's just why they didn't make it, why people that were supposed to be the six best young comedians of 1989, what happened and everything. So, yes, thank you for for getting that, that that a lot of people don't get that. One one person, my friend, said it's almost like the big chill, like six young people and then what happens to them, you know?
0: Well, it's interesting because, um, you know, you know, Rob Schneider says he got his big break there. I remember Rob Schneider as more the copy guy in. Well, he SNL. got, but he got
1: cast on SNL, and they became aware of him from this.
0: Yeah, and I guess with David Spade, I remember him more from "Just Shoot Me," which I, you know, ultimately led from
1: this. The comedy but their break special. was Saturday Night Live, which I got from this. Yes. Yeah. Well, what happened with "Just Shoot Me" is, uh, well, no, they were. He left SNL because he was um rep by Brillston Gray, who uh Brad Gray plays a prominent uh, part in my um, the book, and he just died like two days ago. Yeah, and so they were producing Brilston Gray, a, um, a a sitcom for Laura Sanjanomi. Is that how you say it? Yes, yeah, and Giacomo. Yes, Giacomo- so um, so he was with such big management. They put uh, Spade on the show, but then he stole the show. She was supposed to be the star of it the anchor of it but he became the breakout star of just shoot me
0: so so it's interesting to me because if someone had told you when you were a kid oh you're going to be on the 60 best tv shows of all time you're going to write one of the best episodes for one of the best tv shows of all time and then you're going to write three great books about television you would have said oh
1: i'll take it sign me up (laughs) Well, yes and no, you know, well, well, it's a lot of these memoirs are, are coming to terms with, you know, like my mother is not very accepting and well, she just puts me down. How come you'd have been a regular? So maybe we'll have you <laughs> back is as, as if you remember being an insider outsider guy. I'm on these shows, but it's frustrating because you're hearing them talk at the craft service table about their second houses, what they're going to wear to the Emmys. And they're coming back the next week. And I'm I describe it as I'm like a foster kid from TV shows, hoping one keeps me on. So yes, I you know, as I got older, I learned to say yes. That that's something because I, I forget, because Hollywood, as you remember from the opening of um Five Minutes to Kill what it's like living there. I don't know if you go there often, but it's all these billboards in your face of these idiots you started with smiling. Hey, you loser. I'm on a TV (laughs) show. I'm working. So you lose perspective that I grew up in Sheepshead Bay in Brooklyn and two of the guys are dead. One still lives with his mother on Brown Street in uh, Brooklyn. So yes, you lose perspective how awesome it is. Just When I was on Seinfeld, I remember... um, I wrote on Seinfeld and it didn't work out. They didn't bring me back. And then they called me to get down here quick uh, for a table read. I remember I didn't know what I was going to be, but driving there, I said, I don't care if it's one line to be in Seinfeld in any way. And, you know, the magnitude. So the scene I was in, the first scene was in Monk's Diner. And just to be, I'm sure people who were extras were just to be in Monk's Diner was amazing. So now I don't take it for granted, but yes, it still was a struggle because here you are on these shows, you're recognized, people think you're rich. I remember these guys in the Grove would say, he must live up there pointing to the Hollywood Hills and I want to correct them, point their arm <laughs> to where I really live. So people think you're rich or you're famous or people would stop me. Hey, do you need a writer's assistant? What? I I need someone to help clean my little apartment. So yeah, it's just, it used to. I learned to really enjoy being, ex, you know, because I used to like people, you're so funny. I go, then how come I've never been a regular? What am I doing wrong? So Yes, yeah, so a lot of these books are about coming to terms. What does make it mean self acceptance? Because, like I said, you're in a warp city where it's in your face. Like one one comic I forgot said, "It takes five minutes to read the uh, Hollywood Reporter and a whole day to get over it." Because <laughs> you know, you know, you're going, "Damn, look but, at this!"
0: But again, it's all about a perspective. Yeah, like you're, exactly. No matter where you are, you're always kind of comparing yourself. To the next person, like I literally know billionaires who compare themselves to people with ten
1: billion dollars, and they they get upset. <laughs> exactly. So you got, I got to you know, yes, yeah, so I used to, yes, yeah, say why am I not a regular if I'm so funny? I've never, that, I've never been a, a regular on a sitcom or this or that. But yes, I learned. Um, I don't know how old your daughter is. How old is she? Eighteen. And to me. One of the biggest joys I have—I don't know if you watched Drake or Josh or any of those shows. Yeah,
0: she
1: does. I only was on one Drake or Josh, but when we were, I got, we were
0: trying to fight we, we they, the try- foam
1: finger guy with the eye patch, um, bobblehead. I was on Wizards of Waverly Place. Did you see that? So just to be part of someone's childhood is—you know—I'll have a, a depressing day, whatever, and then I just some kid would recognize me, and because <clears throat> I know growing up. I loved the Bob Newhart show, and I got to work with Mr. Carlin, one of the guys from it, or being friends sort of with George Segal, who I'd see in these 70s TV shows. So, yes, yeah, so, you, again, you you got to get the perspective back, and that's why it's good to be here. New York is insane, but to get out of Los Angeles.
0: Well, now, um, there's a lot of different directions I want to go with this. Um one thing is, is you are incredibly funny. Like, so I watched the 1989, you know, HBO special when I read the book just to see your, uh-huh. you know, five minutes, six minutes. And it's hilarious. Oh, like, I, if you. I saw that right now, it would be hilarious. Like, the humor uh-huh. sticks. Like, you, you say, you know, I, I, uh, first off, I love how you start which I plan on stealing, actually, if I Please. do a talk or something. Uh, uh, Have yeah. you ever
1: talked? <laughs> no, like <laughs> no. like if
0: I, ever, if yeah. I give like a Oh, in a public talk. speaking. Yeah. yeah, like how you say, uh, you know, where are you from? And then, okay, over here. And then, you know, you kind of well, just go I never quickly. knew how
1: to open. So all these comics work the crowd. Oh, I'm psyched. Let me at you. Yeah, what, I never had. It was so hard because the hard thing about opening as a stand-up is – You got to get them, but you can't do your best joke, which would be ideal because they're trying to figure out who you are. So that's why a lot of comics open with a joke like Rob Schneider, I know, I'm short, we breathe down or whatever. So yeah, so I would just sort of work the crowd, but not really.
0: Yeah, that was funny. And then you have the the joke where... um you know, I don't always. I'm gonna misdo it, but I, 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 don't always. I'm not always so close with my mom, so I wrote her this letter. You know, dear Mrs. Stoller, right? You know? So just all of these things are so self-deprecating and and funny in this twisted way. Or then you have you write about how in some of your stand up you have these kind of um, non sequitur jokes that are really funny when you think about it. Like I'm so poor, I can only buy cars that are blue. Something. You know? <laughs>
1: We could only find a blue card. No, those were non-jokes. Jokes Jokes that sounded like their jokes were just missed. But those are funny. They would would never work in clubs. I did them at the comic show. This guy goes, that joke sucks. Like, he didn't get... (laughs) But the the idea that it sucks is what makes it funny. Right, right. Now, well, the problem was um, that set you saw, I hear my accent saw, (laughs) Brooklyn, um, that... They you are so I, I I did the comedy boom of the '80s where you could just make a living doing fifteen minutes here and there. Then you go on the road to do forty-five to an hour, and and you and I you had to adapt, which I didn't know how. And go hey, here I am in Austin or you know San Antonio. You couldn't just you had to cater to them to show you're on their territory and follow some middle act that was doing flips and rapping and. <laughs> spitting at the audience and cursing them out so my low-key depressive non-sequitur weird jokes it kind of had to get watered down when i went on the road because you couldn't just be this whatever yeah but i i
0: you know so so let's get in again there's many directions i want to take this but first let's get into why you didn't really break out with let's say your own Show because I feel like there obviously could have been a character Uh, show based on but you were on Everybody Loves Raymond. You were on six episodes, you kind of played a consistent character, his his cousin cousin Gerard. And I feel like in that show, they call you out for the problem you have, which is that you always sound depressed in every single show, nasally and and whiny. And and Raymond tries to get you to
1: say, Now. Yes. Not depressed. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Now. Yeah. I say it like he does. Yes. I mean, are you gonna say why was it I ended more or 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 just why maybe? Well, that's well. James, sorry to interrupt, but that's the frustration. Even though, like you said, it's amazing that I was on the shows, but when people would say you're so funny, how come you never made it? Or you know, or they think I'm a millionaire, or. Yeah, why don't you have your own show? That's when I beat myself up. Yeah, what am I doing wrong? So, it in a sick way got frustrating cuz like, yeah, like people were complimentary, I would speculate that like like during the 90s or whatever, a lot of comedians were getting their own shows. I'm not an anchor, you know. I'm the weird guy that pops up.
0: But why I think you could have been an anchor though. Why why do you, I think I think you probably were too I think you absorb this self-deprecating persona, which probably is maybe your real persona. But you absorb it too
1: much so you wouldn't push shows. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, no. I, I, I was in the wrong era. Um, I'm older than you, but I grew up with shows like Barney Miller, where they had these weird ensembles of, you know, a Bob Newhart, like a weird patient that comes in. You know, actually, I never had the confidence to dream big. I... I never thought I could be a you know a star. I, I identified with um, the weirdos that had three lines. Oh, I could be that guy. And um, yeah, there was a guy in Dog Day Afternoon who chickens out, and I go, oh, I could be that guy. I remember I was seeing a shrink in New York. I said, Yeah, that's my dream. He goes, You should dream a little bit higher, <laughs> uh, you know. And I go, Yeah, maybe he's right because I when when I used to headline as a comedian, not good self esteem. I'd feel sorry for the people lining up waiting to see me. Like I was there weekend, you know, and they're spending their weekend money on me. I guess I never yes. But, but had why, that why would you feel
0: that way though? Like if, if everybody well, if we says could go you were... to my mother
1: and my <laughs> you know, all that stuff. But if
0: everybody says you're funny all the
1: time, why wouldn't people blind up to see you? Um, because it wasn't I I never I'm not like an entertainer, you know, for a headliner. I, I think I was good in New York in those fifteen minutes spots at the comedy clubs or not as a headliner the headliner had to be entertaining high energy do do an hour you know what i'm saying and when i headlined no they were disappointed they would switch the middle act with me who had a guitar and you know what i mean make them clap along and curse you know and work the crowd that's why when i did that opening you like hey i'm working the crowd I I was mocking those comedians that hey look at this schmuck who takes the pictures a threesome hey you know and they would blow the room away and that's what those crowds wanted you know um, yeah not the non sophisticated crowds but you know take like, take like I was in high energy they like high energy take, take like Barney Miller though
0: so Fish was kind of the low
1: energy right. guy but
0: he ended up having his own show
1: well b- b- yeah I uh, because he was. He was on Barney Miller, but you know you were th- on Seinfeld. Yeah, just one. He was a regular. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. We, we I could say what, what why it didn't work out that way. I would have liked it. Yeah, um, but I, I think it was a different era in that you wouldn't have a show like um, Mary Tyler Moore, a bunch of middle aged, not good looking people. They're like slick, like How He Met Your Mother, or you know, Friends. Friends kind of ch- maybe Friends changed it where. They're really good-looking, uh, young, fashionable people in um, prime time. Like I said, How I Met Your Mother or the people on um, what's that other one on? Um, it's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. You're kind of slick, and so yeah, I think I'm from in the era of the the more nebbish. Now they have all these UCB people that are kind of brooding and. They're deadpan, but they're kinda of like nerdist they're too hip, you know what I mean? They're like on the office. They're they're low-key, but it's like deliberately like cool, like, yeah. Or the slobs on purpose. So I think I should write an article. The difference between a nabbish and a nerd. Nerds are cool now, but they're more like pop culture references. They're snarky, they're like a guy, you know guy Brian poseyne He's like uh, yeah, a total- yeah. he's not good looking, but he but he acts like, yeah. I'm um, into Metallica. They he, just riff on pop culture, and he was on the um the Sarah Silverman show, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. So obviously he's not a good-looking guy. Sorry, Brian. He says a too, but but he but a nerd is more like a guy into yeah. I have my collections of this. I uh, I you know one thing bothered me a little bit. Him and Patton Oswalt were on some um some documentary, The Comedians of Comedy, and, and Patton Oswalt's gone. Yeah, I'm into comic books. I'm different. You know, if you don't if people don't get it. No, you're not different. That's so mainstream. That's not, you know, alternative. I, I, I hate when people go, I'm going to Comic Con. I guess I'm a nerd. No, you meaning I'm go, I'm cool. I'm into robots and anime. So so I, I, I got resentful that the nerd Chris Hardwick, the nerds, hijacked the word nerd and it's cool.
0: You know, it's funny. Just as a, a a little trivia fact that I just heard yesterday, the San Diego Comic Con just started selling their tickets. I guess a few days ago. Oh, it sold out probably. A symposium. One hundred forty six thousand tickets sold in forty five minutes. So there's right. one hundred forty six thousand like instant nerds. So that's why, yeah. But nerd means cool
1: now. So yeah. so I think I'm from the era of that kind of more sad sackish, yeah. Which you don't see. I mean, to tell you the truth, though. Of all the things I've done, these things expressing myself in my own voice has been, you know, been creative and and expressing myself. Well, I was always trying to I'm always trying to fit into other people's puzzles my whole career.
0: Well, in, in 5 minutes to kill you kind of present many so so 5 minutes to kill your latest book, I highly recommend it. It's and really And it's only
1: entertaining. $1.99 these Kindle singles. Right,
0: not even $2 as you not, pointed out on Twitter. Yes. <laughs> so there is a difference between the guys who broke out which is like David Spade and Rob Schneider, and then you're sort of in the middle there, mm-hmm. Fre- you know, Fred Stoller, and then um, you have you know Jan Karim, uh, Warren Thomas, and I can't pronounce Drake Sather. Yeah. So, so what is the difference between the first group? It's and hard. The second you know, again,
1: group? it's hard because you know, talking to me right now, we can't figure out why blah 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 I didn't become the guy, the regular guy, or the sad sack on the shows, but talking to a lot of these people, interviewing all the people for this, a lot of them, a lot of people, let's say, came from San Francisco where they're rock stars in the comedy boom, and it's creativity, and this is stuff you should explore because you write about, you know, packaging and, you know, and business, and there's a way to, um, you come to Los Angeles, to Hollywood, and you got to figure out how to take what's unique about you and sell it, because when you're the kings of your local town or San Francisco, with like I said, they're rock stars. It's about being creative and riffing and this and that. Like Warren Thomas, who Chris Rock referred to as, as I said, the funniest guy you've never heard of. He was what they called riffers in San Francisco. Rob, the late Robin Williams, only Warren Thomas, this guy Stephen Pearl, and Greg Proops, who you probably heard of they could keep up riffing. It's just going and references, you know, like whose line is it anyway, sort of, but just almost like battle rapping, but just keep it going off stage. And so Warren Thomas had a very loose, almost like a jazz player. Um, and he almost thought it was lame to have a structured set, which hurt him. Even on the Young Comedian special, as I wrote, it was... He was like co- trying to come up with stream of consciousness, and David Spade. What are you doing? You know, know. I like to just find my way as I go. So Warren, I don't think was structured that way. He now Robin Williams um, made it almost like a magician made it look like he was just coming up with stuff, but he had tricks. He would do a lot of the same quote unquote spontaneous stuff at the always same time. So he he created the illusion of the spontaneity. So I think it's, it was a lot of them with Strutcher. Um, uh, Jan Karam, she was a precursor because she was beautiful. She still is very, very attractive, very beautiful. But she was before this influx of comedians that were attractive. They were very attractive comedians before. Amy Schumer, Sarah Silverman, uh, Whitney Cummings. Is that her name? Yeah. yeah. Um, but... They were more kind of the 80s aggressive or kind of punch, punch, punch comedians Elaine Boozler, Carol Liefer, you know, people like that, Paula Poundstone. But then women start talking really graphically, sexually, and they own their hotness. Now, Jan was the first really beautiful comedian. That was just sexy and was, but I think she didn't own her hotness. Like Sarah and Amy, they talk very graphically. And but uh, but Jan, again, I don't know. it's timing. It's luck. If you people listening, read the book. Jan had some timing issues. She could have she looked too much like Elaine. She knew Seinfeld. she dated. She could have been Elaine, but then they were concerned. You're too beautiful that people are going to be mad at Jerry. You broke up with him, so just these rant. So, so in my book, I explore what does makeup make it really mean? Because, like you said, uh, people compare themselves. David Spade, Rob Schneider, go. Why aren't I Adam Sandler? Why aren't I whatever? So, it's yeah. So it's um. These different paths and different things happen. You
0: know, a lot of it, it seems, has to do with persistence. Like Jeffrey Tambor writes in his memoir that just came out that Brian Grazer, the producer, once told him, this is what a Hollywood career looks like. No, 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 no. And, you know, that's basically it's almost like you have to persist through all those no's to get and that's true for any career but it seems particularly true when you're
1: when you're selling yourself right. as the product. Right. I think with the 1989 young comedian special though. That was on the cusp of when comedy was getting fashionable and cool and I got to give David Spade credit. He was a precursor to the snarky kind of um you like on those shows, best week ever, or those I love the nineties, those Talking Heads. Yeah, yeah, you're you're really cool. You know what I mean, the wise asses. So I think youth helped uh, David Spade and Rob Schneider because they were kind of bad boys. Like uh, Schneider had the leather jacket and or whatever. He was fashionable. He was half Fonzie, half Elvis. You know what I mean. So they had an attitude. So, I agree with n- persistence, but it helped that they kind of got their thing, you know what I mean, with that coolness. They had a persona that somehow fit. Well, b- b- because when I went into stand up comedy, I never went into it go, I want to be cool, this is cool. I was just, you know, I was pathologically shy and depressed. That's why my mother freaked out that I quit college to be a comedian because what you're so depressed, how are you gonna make people laugh, don't cook, what are you doing? But again, I wanted to be a character actor, but I didn't know how you did it, so I, so then I heard, I, gee, I see people like Jimmy Walker, and someone said, Oh, he did his set at the improv, and then you're going to Tonight Show, then you're on a sitcom. I said, Oh, even though I'm really shy, I only have to do it two times. I'll, I'll do the improv, get discovered, going to the tonight show. I fantasized going to the tonight show going, "Oh, this is only my second time doing stand-up. So I said, I only have to do it once. And And obviously I didn't get to tonight show, but I'd have my head down. I couldn't look at the audience. And that became my persona because I was so pathologically shy. So then, um, around the young comedian special after, then there was things like the half hour comedy hour on MTV, so comedy started becoming cool. You never had really, you had people like David Brenner from my era, never good looking people, Robert Klein, not not unattractive, but not so long-winded thing what I'm saying is I think it became a lot about, um, it helped that persistence with Jeffrey Tambor, he's like a bold character actor, so it worked with him, but I think the timing for Rob Schneider and David Spade, that they were and you know Saturday night live the kind of you know cool bad boys
0: let's stop to take a quick break we'll be right back fresh books thanks once again fresh books sponsoring this podcast here you go if you're a small business owner who struggles with tax stuff you don't have to stress anymore because freaking out and burying your hand in the sand will, i trust me, will not solve your problems come tax time. FreshBooks is the ridiculously easy to use cloud accounting software that's made for people who can't stand doing their taxes. Seriously, FreshBooks will transform the way you will handle your taxes because they keep all your cash flow details in one place so you know exactly what invoices you sent, who has paid you, and what your actual income is. And... Their mobile app allows you to take pictures of your receipts and organize them for later, which makes claiming expenses a total breeze. You can even set up FreshBooks to import expenses directly from your bank accounts. It's everything you need to stay completely zen come tax time and not panicked at all. For a 30-day free trial, just go to freshbooks.com forward slash James and enter the top secret code, James in the how did you hear about us?" section that's freshbooks.com forward slash James and enter the code James in the how did you hear about us?" section if you're hiring you need to know where to post your job to find the best candidates and believe me believe you me I know finding great talent can be difficult thankfully with ZipRecruiter you can post your job to over 100 websites with just one click In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. You can find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll in to ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. You won't have to juggle emails or calls to your office. You can just quickly screen candidates, rate them, and hire the right person fast. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash James. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. One more time, to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Let's talk about the Seinfeld year for a second. So, you started, you know, you ran into Larry David. He he, he I guess you knew him from Yeah, days. what happened
1: was a, a mutual friend, Steve Scrovan, we I knew I knew Larry David from the stand up days and the improvisation. How, I, how
0: was he as a stand up before pre-Seinfeld? People
1: say, you know, he was p- very well respected with comics, but he's like he is on curve, not as ridiculous, but my my explanation is the things he does, those outbursts, he may not have them but these things he thinks. Oh, Who would you get that seat, and uh how come uh, you you get a phone? You know, what I mean, like he won't scream at you, but he 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 wants to. So he would just storm off the stage if they weren't laughing or a guy had his head turned. So he really wasn't a road comic. Like I had to do a you know consummate. He he wrote. Uh, I guess he wrote on Friday. So he. So he was respected. Where the people who didn't know know things that this guy is brilliant, but not not really a club comic. So, but I remember I'd hang out at the Improv. I remember when he said, "Let's see who could go the longest without masturbating." But you got to be honest, and that became the uh, Seinfeld episode. So um, I, I went to a surprise birthday party for my friend Steve Scrovan, and and he came later because he goes, "I don't want to have to yell surprise," you know, that's stupid and. <laughs> He was always sort of a bully to me. Like, uh, when's the last time you got laid? I can't picture anyone ever loving you. You know, <laughs> uh, you're a tech sad, sad loser like me, is my Larry David impression. And he goes, uh, well, what's wrong with you? You know? So then they were using a lot of stand ups as writers on the show. And people were pitching ideas, spec scripts. You know what that is? Where it's yeah. a, He goes, how come you never wrote a spec script? I go, I don't like the idea of writing something that. Um, it's just a sample of your work. Something, you know. He goes, write, 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 write one. Nothing will happen, but I will read it. And I wasn't going to do it because I'm not smart, like savvy, like you. You know, I, 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 I've, I, I, love this. Actually, I'll relate something you wrote to something on Seinfeld. But business, I didn't. Know, I thought when you got a job on a sitcom, that was your living. Most sitcom writers were five jobs ahead, like these Harvard guys with on uh, lunch breaks, we going to Castle Rock and getting the next deal because they were writers on Seinfeld. I, I was not smart and that way. I'm not, not a business guy. So long with I keep saying long way of explaining that I never, you know, there's some comedians they want, wanted to be the guy at the table uh what's his name? Rob um Petrie from Dick Van Dyke. I never wanted to be a TV writer, you know, so so, But I said, I have to write this spec script because the fact Larry David will read it, there were people in 1994 that would kill to have Larry David, because I don't have to explain to people what a phenomenon uh, Seinfeld was. And, and also
0: the fact that Larry David was really the, the runner of that yes. show. He, more than Jerry Seinfeld
1: at that time. Right. So I, I wrote a, a spec script based on true incidents. Uh, one of them was, this is before the internet, where if you had a blind date, you couldn't do research now. There's no such thing as a blind date anymore. You, you put your name James, you know, oh, this is what he looks like. Oh, yeah, he's done all these books. Cool. I'm excited. You know, with me, I'll have a date and a woman will, they'll look me up on this thing that's not true, celebrity net worth. It says one point five million. No, well, they think I'm rich because they see all my credits. They don't know a lot of them were free or three hundred dollars. So, so someone said, "I have this woman I want to set you up with." Oh, she's for the summer at Cape Cod, and I was so excited. What does she look like? So I thought of like a sketch where I hire a police composite artist to have my friend describe her, so I could look at the picture. And go, ooh. So um, he goes, oh, "I like That's that funny. composite story." <laughs> so i I somehow led to being a staff writer where um Seinfeld is different than other sitcoms in the fact most writers sitcoms have a table. the writers sit around and they come up with story ideas. James, you write that one. Seinfeld, you were on your own where you had to come up with stories, and people weren't really helping you. My analogy, it's like a homicide. Everyone's trying to solve their own murders, but their own. We're all trying to serve, serve murders, solve murders. So we're all trying to write Seinfeld episodes. So, so you couldn't write anything until you got your Jerry, Larry, Kramer, and Elaine story approved and connect them. So I just be on my own and-, and and just just to interrupt there, it's interesting that. Every main character had to have a story. Yes, and you had to connect them.
0: Yeah, and, and that was kind of innovative. Uh for I mean that was sort of a Larry David innovation for Seinfeld as opposed to prior shows like like MASH or or yep, taxi, yep. not necessarily every character had a storyline every show. Yep,
1: yep. Well, yeah, I wonder if it's because they were such oh iconic. People, or,
0: I, I think, I think Larry David, have, yeah, he's mentioned that he just didn't want the other guys to
1: sulk yeah. for the week. Well, no, actually, what happened with me was I wrote this Kramer story based on this character I knew who was this eccentric guy and didn't want his refrigerator anymore. He wanted more space, which, um and I had this funny scene of him putting the refrigerator on his back, that going down the steps, wobbling, all that physical stuff kramer does and they and they jerry and larry rewrite your script when you hand it in and they really cut a lot of his stuff so when i was at the table read i thought uh, michael richards kramer was sulking like i don't have a lot to do here so i went over to him and go you know i i i i thought he was mad at me and i said "I, i wrote more for you physical stuff i you look upset you don't have a lot to do he goes oh i love doing the physical stuff can 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 you tell larry to put it back in so I knew it wasn't a good idea, but I'm, whatever the word is, codependent, where you want to please everyone. So I go over to uh, um, Larry David. I go, uh, uh, Michael Richards is upset. Can we put some stuff back go, you don't talk to the actors. What the hell's wrong with you? Oh, what an idiot I was. Yeah, so uh, one thing, uh, I know you wrote that uh, thing about only having 15 possessions. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's funny when I was younger I was like the 40-year-old virgin where I had knickknacks and action figures and as I get older you know I like having less and less I even though the sound isn't as good on um what is it called um the, you know with c- CDs with digital I like being more of a minimalist as I get older so when I knew I wasn't coming back so at first you know, in my season, I had an office with knickknacks. I remember—I don't know why—a Whoopi Goldberg from Star Trek figurine. I didn't even like Star Trek. All these <laughs> knickknacks and toys, and I knew I wasn't coming back. So each day, I take more and more stuff home, and then when it was the last day, it wasn't like I had to pack boxes. So I, maybe I'm getting deep. I think, like life, you know, I, I dated this woman many years ago. Um, uh, Jerry stole his daughter. And I remember Jerry Stiller had all this memorabilia and stuff. This is me on Ed Sullivan. This is me in TV Guide. And I said, I don't want to, well, he's not lonely, but I don't want to be a lonely guy sitting in my room with all my knickknacks and memory. Here I am. Here's my picture. Here's my script from Suddenly Susan. You know, uh, so yes. So as I got older, Maybe it's like Seinfeld, where I'm waiting to die. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> like Seinfeld, I'm waiting to get fired. Here, I'm waiting. to She well, gave well, a look like she's worried. Well, you know?
0: why, why are you waiting to get fired? I know. So, 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 one,
1: one question. You just is, know because. Oh, sorry.
0: Oh well, well, I know Larry David kind of wanted to circulate writers because he would. He was afraid he'd run out of New York stories about comedians. So that to get a and new, you know
1: when that I was there when it was starting to bring in those uh, Harvard guys that really. I remember what, two of them, one of them said to me. You always use stuff from your life. Nothing bad ever happens to me. I have to make things up. I go, How could you say nothing bad ever happened to you? But, you know, but so they, 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 they what happened was you just know because uh, you just sense when you're not. Part of it, but but when you when when that
0: when you had that conversation with that person, nothing bad ever happens to you. You did then write a list of all these crazy yes. Jerry ideas that you had that didn't actually oh, yeah. happen to you. Why didn't you pitch those? They were very funny.
1: I I, I, I was trying on like the non jokes. Sometimes writing non jokes by accident, the real joke comes. So I'd come up with the most ridiculous things, and um, I think what I did pitch like. I, I, Manute Bull was a basketball player I liked because he was skinny. He was he was like you remember him, 7'6", hundred and thirty uh, sixty pounds. So I said, Jerry gets Manute Bull mad at a basketball game. And what well, the was that? You know. So I think I I um you just you know, it's like a woman. I learned in life, you know how you get a woman to like you? She has to like you. It doesn't work with being like John Cryer and pretty woman and seducing them and dancing. Anytime I try to get a woman to like me, it doesn't work. It's almost predetermined, like auditions. So I knew like uh, you know, like um I was really struggling to get another storyline approved. And what happened was I pitched my oh, speaking of that, Paul Reiser did a thing where Patrick Ewing got mad at him at a basketball game on Mad About You.
0: Well and, and curve Your Enthusiasm, I think Larry David tripped
1: a basketball player. Yeah, so, you know, the thing is, I'm not saying they stole things, but it's like a chemistry, like I said. Like if a woman, like I'll say something to a woman and she'll look at me, I'll be the same guy like I'm Hinckley, you know? And then to another woman, I could be Johnny Depp or the early Johnny Depp, you know? So, um, you know what I mean? So it's not even what you say, it's just... Like, I learned, like, I, I did a movie uh, I, I wrote that went to festivals. Well, no, I learned when I was, um, uh, when you write your Seinfeld episode, you're in on the auditions. So you always beat yourself up. Like, it's almost like you walk through the door, you're the guy or girl or not. So, you, you know, you could do all these fancy ticks. You know, you're, you know, uh, I'm not gonna be uh, on Law and Order as a gritty detective. You know, it doesn't matter how much acting coaching I get, I walk through the door. There's this weird guy, you know, whatever. I just exude this. So what I'm trying to say is I had a lot of ideas that they ended up using on Seinfeld, almost like they were shut off. So when you see people auditioning, when you, they're not right because they're not right, not because they're not good actors. You kind of just shut off. So you just, I just knew Larry was shut off to me. And what happened was I handed in my second script because I'm not doing it. There's uh, no point in uh, starting anything else up. The season's almost over. So there's six weeks to go, and it was almost like a Seinfeld episode they did where George was fired. He wasn't sure if he should come in. So I said, I want to get my six remaining checks, so I guess I'll come in. So I'd come in, get the free lunch, walk across the street, play pinball, um, and then go home. So little by little, I'd. and there were were five other writers that had that same uh, thing. So so
0: I'm just putting myself in that mindset, right? So let's say I had written a... uh, a script for Seinfeld, and it was a great show. It was the episode The Soup, which was which was very funny. And um, I would then think to myself, okay, I'm going to pitch some shows, good or bad, but oh, some, some studio will give me a three-show deal
1: or whatever. Again, you know, I think... Um, uh, you mean to get another writing job? Yeah. Yeah, again, I think I was so decimated, my confidence as being a writer... That before that, I was starting to get some work on Murphy Brown, whatever, Amen, some yeah. guest star work. And I kind of, to me, a sitcom writing isn't creative. Yes, if you're smart and you want to have a house and a family and, you know, that stuff, there, you know, again, there are people in Harvard. That study to be sitcom right? It's a business now. It wasn't a business. Yes, I. That, I'm not like you. I never had a business sense. Like, like I said, I didn't know I, that I was supposed to go to lunches. Oh well. Here's a funny story. You know who? Um, do you watch Entourage? Yeah. Uh, so Ari Emanuel is a real your... person. So he said, uh, "You know," I said, "I got the job." He found that I got the job because I'm going to be your your agent. I. And he goes, I'm not gonna take a commission. I wanna cultivate a relationship with you. So then I guess he sees that didn't exude that kind of whatever, that wheel of dealer guy. Uh, then, like early on, he stopped returning calls. He, he so much was cultivating. You know, you, you just get it. Like, so like I said, TV writing is a business. This is like going into Wall Street now. It's like they learn the formulas, they write, you write in the voices. When you create a show, you write. it's your voice. When you write on a show, you're writing in so the showrunner's voice. A lot of people from, some people eventually in Seinfeld, like Alec Berg uh, runs with Mike judge, Silicon Valley, which I love. But a lot of them, a lot of Simpsons people, Simpsons people never created their own show. They just are smart and know how the formula and what if Jerry does this and stuff. So yes, I was, and I really didn't see. So then when I snuck out, uh, when i was said they said don't do anything i did a part on murphy brown and I, I i started doing some more of the guest stars and then when i was let go from seinfeld i started getting some guest stars so that got me i was so embittered from the sitcom experience that i um yeah i didn't go that route i and why well, i have an apartment and not a house you know and all that yes yeah, so.
0: well let me ask just this is just kind of um sort of the the basic economics question. You've been in so many shows. I mean, there was one show where you've done
1: The Voice on 84 different episodes. Oh, no, get- no, no, no. Yeah, I got lucky with Handy Manny, a kid's show where I was the monkey wrench, and, and that was great. So, um, <clears throat> yes, uh, a Preschool Tools That Talk. So I, I had a little nice run with animation for a while. And
0: you get residual checks yes. from all
1: these shows. Not insane, not, you know, not like, you know, guys like Phil Rosenthal from Everybody Loves Raymond, but they go down and down and down, but they're nice little things. I had my landlord, my landlord looked me up. He goes, "Hey, you should pay more rent, you know. You know, I didn't know you you work so much." And he goes, "You you, you he wants me he wanted me out. He can't kick me out, but he was resentful because uh, you know he can only raise my rent 3%. So it's like when he looked me up on the computer, it's hard for him to get him to fix things because he thinks I should own a house by my resume. <laughs> so no, no, what are you trying to say? No, I'm not doing a sob story. I'm very fortunate. What happened was, um, well, because I don't have a mortgage or kids, I, 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 and because I did that animation, I wasn't strangled and desperate. So then I started writing these things because I go, you know, what would i like to write without trying to make the big sale well you know so it really you know they say money blah blah doesn't buy happiness and all that but to me money buys for me not being desperate and that's why with the possessions you know you wrote about i like that i like to me what money buys is to come to new york and just treat you know if I'm having anxiety, get in a cab. I thought that gives me anxiety too. Not, uh, you know, it's raining at JFK, get an Uber, not take the, the train to the thing, to the bus, to hell, you know, and then you slide down a slide, you know, plan, <laughs> and, and then you get off on Fourth Street, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So just the freedom to extricate. When I'm with my mother, I can just bolt, you know what I mean? <laughs> I went there for my father's funeral, and she's Going, oh, she tried to kill herself. She took a a, a knife, but it was plastic; it bent. And, and I said, "I'm going to a hotel." So, just if I, the freedom that you know, because I I had anxiety years ago before I had money saved up. That what if I get kicked out? Like, yeah. So to me, money buys not possessions, but non desperation to be creative and to extricate.
0: So now, now you've written these three books. Obviously, they're a source of great pleasure to you. And again, there's been an evolution. Like you went from kind of the My Seinfeld year, where you took maybe this seminal point in your life and and wrote a Kindle single about it. Then it became more a, a broader memoir with your second book. You know, maybe we'll have you back, and it's kind of your full career as a guest star on so many shows. And again, I will repeat: this is. You're a part of television history. You've been on every... Uh, you're, you're the only person who's been on every single TV show. Like, I grew okay. up with all those
1: shows that you've been on. You know, suddenly Susan was ahead of its time because before they had gay guys so much on TV with Will and Grace and I guess even before Ellen, but I played a low-key gay guy and there was another low-key gay guy. So <laughs> yeah, well, and and, and and just... In and every- Kathy Griffin was going, you so homophobic, Fred, you're not holding hands. Because we were supposed to be dancing um, at a wedding, so she was annoying. But, but. like, <laughs> well,
0: or that's right, because Kathy Griffin kind of got her breakout on Suddenly Susan. Yeah, and then of course she did her real- She's very aggressive. She did her reality show. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, I forgot, Adventures of the D List or something I mean, like that.
1: Yeah, My Life on the D List.
0: And then this third book again kind of evolves from your your broader memoir to be more almost like a a journalistic like a
1: narrative it was, nonfiction it w- book. Yeah, and it was really it was it was fascinating to me because I felt like I was part detective part reporter that <clears throat> it's really hard because I I was at the mercy of Pete to tell these five stories and I'm so happy that I got two wives of them to cooperate. Um, some people wouldn't cooperate. Some people were resentful, suspicious.
0: But even that becomes part of the story, yes, like in this yeah. Gonzo
1: style. Yes, yeah, exactly. So it really, I one guy, you know, I relived um, uh, in Seinfeld. What happened was Kenny Banya was based on a real guy. A guy gave me an Armani suit and said, "Now you're gonna take me out for a meal, and we're even," because you know. So we went to this Jerry's Deli, and he he just got soup and soda. It came to twenty dollars. He goes, "I'm going to save the meal for another time." He did this like three times, and <laughs> and that became Kenny Banya. So <clears throat> one guy, he, we went to a place in Malibu, an expensive uh, what's it called sushi place, and he goes, "I'll just I'll take it easier on you. I'll know, just get appetizers." It came to seventy dollars. Then he he goes, "Oh, I got an, I I I forgot something else about Warren Thomas and Rob Schneider. Meet me at Waffle." So we had waffles. And then he set me up. He texted someone who texted someone else, and I got another interview. It was now we got to get a real meal at Nobu in Malibu. And I go, "You're just like Kenny Banya." He goes, "Well, you benefited. I should." So, and then I, but then I'd have to hang out with this annoying guy because I wanted my story. It's like that cliche: your story, your book is your baby, and these are my babies. And what you do? I'm coming to New York, spending money. I mean, I'm glad to do it, but. You know, I believe in this. This is the thing I'm most proud of because, yeah, so it's a little more dimensional than some of those other things. The fact that, and I, yeah, so yeah, it and was uh, what's next? I want to write more things. I hope I don't regress to being it just about me again. I like, um, I like the fact that I'm not waiting for a you know a line producer or releases, just I can write it so. Uh, I have some people interested, and they, you know, it's so flattering. Like, you know, all my life as a writer, I, I had no confidence. I would try things out, and and now someone, people saying, "You, you, from these three things, have created a distinctive voice." So I have uh, more things, either a single or another book of uh, maybe not so showbiz centric, but hopefully creating a persona like someone. Well one guy said, I don't agree, Charles Bukowski. I'm not as gritty, you know, but but that kind of no, thing No, but you
0: have a there okay, so an outsider
1: guy. Oh someone else has said the American Splendor guy. So I, I see that more than Charles Bukowski. But I'm finally uh, yeah, embracing like,
0: American Splendor is that
1: Harvey Bacar, Yes. Yeah. I'm embracing that this kind of self-aware outsider, you know, guy that doesn't fit in. So I want to keep writing these stories. Like as a writer, I know I'm not going to be some guy they're going to bring in to punch up ratatouille too or but you know i i finally this guy i met monday um i don't want to jinx it because you know you're good at writing about your experiences and i never had the confidence you know to write about my own experience because because you know yeah
0: but you know i think in the in five minutes to kill you don't just write about your own experience yeah yeah yeah
1: you you i may regress back to that now but um But yes, but but in these other things, I, I, yeah. I I think it's really,
0: Five Minutes to Kill is really about kind of these elements of success. But this other thing I'm writing
1: may seem like my experience, but I like to explore what's delusional people in my life. Am I delusional like them? That scares me. But then again, I envy delusional people. I wish I was more delusional. So I think, yes, I am exploring other people through my story, you know, that uh, I'm fascinated with delusional people. Because, well, my mother said recently, I resent nervy people. And she goes, I don't like nervy people. Maybe I resent them because I wish I could be nervy. <laughs> so I never had, yeah, I, this entitlement. So I just like kind of writing, yeah, this kind of voice where I know it's not going to be, you know, competing with the Hunger Games and stuff. this." Hopefully. You never know, yeah. <laughs> but
0: yeah. Uh, you know, it seems like you, even in this conversation, you've talked about several other ideas that could potentially fascinate you, like you know the different the difference between you know the, the aspect of timing in a lot of show business and yes. how you can kind of overcome that aspect potentially, or you know what you know also kind of you've acceptance. been through
1: self acceptance,
0: yeah, self acceptance, but and also how self acceptance might change depending on timing. So who you were in the 80s is different than what is, succeeds in the 90s and the 00s and yes. the 10s and television and media itself changes. Like media, exactly. television now has changed so much. You figured that, yes. Well, you can't have a Seinfeld show. Exactly. There's no show that's going to have 30
1: million viewers now. Well, one, I don't want to give away the you know stuff in my book, my new one, but a lot of people that didn't make it In the 80s or 90s, could have made it now because they could have been better at podcasting riffing. You don't have to; you could just riff and go on tangents. You don't have to have that five-minute set, you know, that you got to kill with on TV. Or you could be pop culture reference, you know. Yeah, so some people are ahead of their time. Maybe I'm in the I was in the wrong era with acting, but I'm really happy for what happened and didn't happen because it le- leads to I finally embrace expressing it.
0: Well, would you say that is self-acceptance? So self-acceptance yes. doesn't necessarily mean, "Oh, I'm happy all the time because I've got, you know, the mansion and this and that and I was a star on a show." But you were oh. you were the character
1: actor on
0: no, many shows. No, no, shows. I
1: I I, I t- like I said, um I pooed those kid shows when I did it. Ned's Declassified was a stupid show, but but you know, uh, I, uh, this this Kindle single—I don't know if it'll make the money, my Seinfeld year or whatever—but I just, I just want it to be a story that gets out there, you know. And and I I would trade that for another Handy Manny, even though I made good money. It's a really, but yeah, there's nothing like for me expressing myself. And
0: again, it's um, it's about reinvention also in yes. the sense that yes. you know you started writing these books in your 50s, you're 59 right now. Right. You had a uh, you've had four different careers, right? So you were a stand up on the road. And you write
1: a lot about reinventing yourself. Yes. But this one thing as was sounding it out, I just realized is it conscious to reinvent yourself or or no, you go with what you have, see, so and you go with what excites you too. Yes, exactly. So, like, I have, let's say, these other ideas, and sometimes, yes, you go where the energy where you, there's not resistance. Like, I could have done five minutes ago. I, I don't know, I could, people said, "Why wasn't it a documentary?" And I said, "Well, then I have to try to get the line producer." And I've tried to do my own documentaries, and you don't see eye to eye with the guy who put the money up, the guy who shot it and get the sound and the releases. I said, that would be great as a documentary, but what can I do that I can do now? You know, I could go around to pitch things, but I'm not the hot young guy from the Aspen Comedy Festival. I, I have an In It Kindle Singles. I pitched them. They said, so we love this. So go with where they want you, not what you think is the home run. Go where what excites you, what's creative, and... Um. Yeah, and so I don't know if reinventing is a con. Consci- yeah, it, it, I, it, it was sort of it, half
0: and half because you knew you wanted to write these books. Yes, but you're not necessarily going to force. It has to be easy too. You you try the different things. Like, oh, maybe the documentary, but
1: no, that's you know, hard. You know, I, I, I shouldn't regret this, but like I was a stand up. It wasn't ever my passion, but I was in a comfort zone of the comedy boom in the '80s and thinking I'm unique. I'll I'll be discovered. And then, then I came to LA. It took a while to be the character guy in TV shows, but to be honest, I wasn't really that happy because I was because I was going all the network of people seeing me. I'm funny. Why don't I have a regular sitcom job? And you're always on eggshells, like I said, trying to uh, you know a guest star guy can't flub a line. He's got to hit it out of the park. If his line doesn't get a laugh, he's written out. So even though he's on all these seminal shows, it was harrowing. It was you see, guest stars get written out. I I I did some shows, Raymond and Friends, where I wasn't. I was written out of the episode. They said not because you weren't funny. The scene isn't working. But it's still you think Am I might. Then you do an episode on Raymond. I did another one where they cut me for time a lot. So. So it's just so nerve-wracking when am I going to be cut out from the week? Am I I cut from the scene? So it never felt creative. You're like a monkey doing flips. You know what I mean? Ooh. But so, yes. So I forgot my stupid tangent about what I'm doing, yes, now. is so, So I was in a comfort zone thinking I'm on TV, I'm making a living as an act, and this has to be right, but it didn't feel right. So it took, I'm... Happy that a lot of it dried out. Where, and such great timing where I did the animation. Where I said, "This is what I'd." L- Fred, you have the money and the time to not be desperate. What would you like to write? And yeah.
0: you know just in terms of that animation. You have a very distinctive voice, right? Is it still even with the cold? Oh no, no. But you, have, <laughs> you, you have a distinctive voice in general. Like it's a, uh, that it's always this kind of depressing sort of <laughs> Brooklynish. Well, uh, that's voice. A, that's
1: a blessing and the curse is either they want me or not. anytime I audition for a voiceover. I'm not going to get it. They want me because yeah, Jewish, New York, all mm-hmm. that stuff. So yes, so
0: it was great for you. You had a, you had a whole career of voiceovers uh, with with you
1: know these yeah yeah these animations. no they're fun but like I say they have to want you yeah yeah so no again I you, you I it took me a while to really come to terms but it you know what w- what I'm really happy about is you know I don't know if you write about this and you're reinventing and everything but. I'm in the parameters of show business by, like, these are the laws. These are the rules. Like, this is pilot season. These are the seasons you make it. These are the years you're washed up. As a writer or actor, these are the years you're over. But I want to go into a creative world where there's no real rules or laws. Like, I know so many depressed comedy writers that aren't getting work anymore, actors that... I was like that for a while, going... All right, I'll hang on a few more years. Maybe I'll get my SAG pension. Because you're waiting for them to call you, or you're waiting, you know, for showbiz, or showbiz is saying you're over now. So I, I I wanna enter a world where I feel like I'm just starting now. I'm so excited with writing like this.
0: I mean, that's really that's really great. And again, it's a sign that it can never be too late to no, reinvent. I mean, you have many books
1: in front of you. Yes, exactly. It's not too late. And yeah, my advice would be, don't go by what like, it makes sense if you're an NBA player, like, okay, when you're 40, it's over. But if you're creative, yeah. I think there's an important part of that too, that...
0: You're doing these as Kindles or Kindle singles or whatever Hopefully expand more yeah you can you don't need a publisher necessarily. you could just sort of upload you can write them and upload them to Amazon well, and-
1: this actually the five minutes a kill was um that's true, but they have now Amazon publishing so. They did the cover uh, legal stuff. Um, if I get sued by this, I don't want to go into a, a, a lunatic sued me for the other one. that got thrown out. But Kenny Kramer. Yes, yes. <laughs> we won't get into the story. No. but it's, People could Google it. Yes. Um, so basically, you could, I'm indemnified. Uh, it's all legal. What I'm saying is, the but you didn't have to check. go through
0: the hurdles of like getting I'm an under agent and get dealing with a pub, one of the main publishers. Like you. Well, you, but
1: what I'm saying is under Amazon publishing, but you could do it. Independently, if you want. Right. So it, the yes, it wasn't self-published, but it was. But you can yes, you there. It's more competitive than when my Seinfeld year was on out because they did have all the now so many people are hip to Kindle singles and self-publishing, and there people are making a lot of money from it. Yes.
0: Well, again, uh, Fred Stoller, author of Five Minutes to Kill, fascinating book. You know, I just want to mention I'm trying uh, at my late age. Every week, I'm going and performing stand up right now at a local club. So it was. An, is this a ra- passion for you? It, it, it is a passion for me. It you know, and I'm.
1: In so my this 40s. is like you, you. give a lot of advice, right? On this show. Uh, well,
0: I I always just tell my story. Well, the cliche
1: p- is, do what you love, and the money will come. Now, I still make the mistake of, oh, I think I have an end with these sketches or this, and I find myself trying to come up with ideas. For stuff that's not really my passion because I think I have an in. And to me what's most rewarding and what always pays off is if it's your passion, not because, oh Fred, uh I I run a uh, a website where we do bits about skiing. I'm making up the most nonsense. So I'm trying, oh, I'll be the crazy skier in the, you know, in every week report from a thing. And, I, and that's more desperate because I know someone in skiing oh I could give you this a skiing website you know what I'm saying when it when to me it's best when it's this is what I want to express
0: well, well that's the thing is that I'm not trying to make a career yeah, as exactly. a comedian but I just love learning this new skill and it's been such a pleasure, and that's you know in part why I read all your books. Cause it's like kind of this history well, if you of wanna, stand-up comedy and and being a comic writer. Tonight
1: at seven, I'm not doing a set, but I'm doing the Comedy Cellar podcast with Dan Natterman. If you want to meet any of those guys, you know, uh, you're I've free. been on the Comedy Cellar oh, podcast okay, with okay. Dan Adlerman. Say hi to Dan. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely.
0: So, Fred Stoller. Five Minutes to Kill is his latest book, which I highly recommend, but also my Seinfeld year is fascinating to see kind of inside the scenes of of a season at Seinfeld. And also maybe we'll have you back kind of your whole career. as The
1: life of the perennial guest star. Yeah,
0: life of the perennial guest star. So thanks, Fred, for coming on the podcast. Oh, thank you.
1: Everyone was so nice here. Yeah, I'm sorry. I can't shake hands because I'm considerate. I never know when people walk around with the mask. Is it because they're sick or they don't want others to get sick?
0: I think it's because they put the mask on because they don't want to get polluted by New York.
1: Oh, I thought they're being so considerate. Like, I have a flu. Nobody's considerate. All right, I thought, (laughs) I have a flu. I don't want to get you people sick as I walk through this crowded street. No. All right, I'm going to curse them out now. (laughs) They're doing it for themselves. All right. This is a lot of fun. Thank you so much. That was great. Yeah, that was great. For
0: more from James, check out the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network at com, and get yourself on the free insiders list today. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. I really hope you enjoyed the show. Before you go, I wanted to just say thank you to everyone who has rated and reviewed this podcast on iTunes. For instance, I'm going to give like a little humble, it's actually, it's not even a humble brag. It's like an ego brag. Tim at AGGRAD, A-G-G-R-A-D, said, this is my favorite podcast by far. Seriously, not hyperbole. James is a genius. He researches guests extensively and always seems to deliver the perfect question at the perfect time. He has a very high standard for guests. Every episode makes me think. Highly recommend. Tim, that was a really great review. Thank you. I'm going to try, hopefully, to keep the same standard of questions, and, and we'll see but I really enjoy reading these. So Tim, it means a lot to me and I'm grateful for your support. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath
1: learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission.